0: Welcome to Rough Sundays with Eric S. Queen.
1: This is the fifth take uh, of the introduction that I've done for this show. You know it's really, really hard when you have somebody coming on who is unbelievably talented, who has had this stratospheric rise uh, in his field and in other fields, and uh, especially with what's going on in the past couple of days for him, which I don't even know if I can talk about, uh, just about to blow the door wide open, and you're about to witness this unbelievable writing or television or something career. You want to talk about that, but then he also happens to be your best friend, so you want to talk about that. How do you introduce Denver Nicks when you know Denver Nicks very well? Denver Nicks is my best friend. Uh, if you know me, then you know Denver Nicks uh, once a week, uh, somewhere on social media we're, we're, we're doing something or daily we're exchanging messages about a new project, which might not even ever come to light. And there've been thousands of them. I don't know. I'm stuck. I want to do him justice, but I also want to tell you my story about Denver Nicks. He and I met when uh, he was actually, this is obviously a long time ago. He was doing a spec story on me for a now defunct publication and we stayed in touch. Uh, but as soon as we met in person, it was almost that playground type friendship you know you just walk up and you point at the person you say you're my friend and that's all there is to it and and that's exactly what we did except we you know celebrated that with like a three-day bender but but since that day which was 3 4 years ago we've been in more adventures than than you could think possible uh, we've made little movies we've written stuff well i mean he's written most of the stuff i've written a few things with his help we've started the cult favorite So we say snacks and snacks on Facebook, and like I said, a thousand other things that never made it out of the gate. But we also bonded over this morbid curiosity and this insatiable thirst of life, Uh, and even more so, and this is going to sound shitty, but it's true, the darker side of life on the road. You know, no real home, scenery, friends, smells changing every two, three months, and, and that sounds bad, and I really don't mean it to, but you have to understand, if I say to you right now, I am currently in a hotel room in Paris and I'm tired and broken, and, and I'm a little bit lonely, you'd probably tell me to go fuck myself and go see Paris because I'm living that life that everybody wants. Everybody wants to be in Paris. And while half of that is true, the other half is reality, and that's where Denver and I have always found this solid ground. The backdrops now really don't play any interest. We've both been there before, and we'd rather talk about snacks or we'd rather talk about if the dive bar on the corner is still standing. Uh, and, and we're able to, like Hunter S. Thompson said, kind of peel that veneer away and just really get down to You know, I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care where you're on a plane to, who are you as a person? And we've always had that just kind of mutual understanding and respect. And truth be told, like I've settled down over the past eight months, making Berlin home, having kind of a regular schedule and paycheck. And Denver has had this schedule that would almost make you think, and I do, you know, him to be this just really nice spy. And we're not, I haven't even given you his pedigree yet. Again, this is my problem is that I just spent how many minutes talking to you about Denver the person and not... Denver the Professional, like Time Magazine, Denver, Nat Geo Traveler, Denver, Uprocks Travel Denver has written three really good books, all brilliant. He's still in his 30s. Uh, he's a genius, and I'm sure that's, that's certifiable, like certifiable genius. But getting back to the person that is Denver, like he's the best person that I know. I mean, personally, I can tell you that had it not been for Denver Knicks nine months ago when I was in New Orleans... Had he not come and driven me out of the city, I would I would have ended up overdosing or drowning in my own vomit or picking a fight with the wrong person and gotten shot. I know that without a shadow of a doubt. Like He flew in, drove me out of there and back to Oklahoma just to get me out of a bad situation. So take your pick as to which of those Denver Knicks you want to think about right now, as there are many. But just know being able to have a little show and inviting him on is something that, that really kind of means a lot to me. ¶¶ You know, the last time we Skype, uh, I think that was the first time we ever talked. <laughs> it was. That's how long ago it was that you're like that. You were going to do a piece on me, and now the tides are turn, and I'm dragging you on my oh show. Oh my
2: god, that's hilarious! Yeah, you're right. Um, the poetry,
3: of the full circle moment, man. It, wait, <laughs> it feels like completing something.
1: Is one of us about to die? It's like, uh, where are you, by the way? Even I, I don't know who, where you are.
3: Uh man, I am. The place they call Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco, uh, standing next to a big black cannon pointed towards Sausalito, I think, but I can't see it. There's fog in the way. Just looking out over San Francisco Bay, uh, it's a beautiful sunny day. There's some sailboats out there. Fog over the bay, and um,
1: are, are we allowed to talk about the weird few days that you you've just had?
3: Yeah, I think so. Uh, assuming this will not go up like tomorrow or the next day, kind of thing. Uh, I think there's probably a little bit of lead time on this, right? So yes. it won't be published. Yes. Or go online immediately. Yeah, it's been a crazy In fact, in fact, when you called me just now, it came up on my phone as no caller ID, which is I just started laughing because this whole thing that has happened over the last couple of
1: weeks kind of began with a phone call that said no caller ID, (laughs) which I write about in the article that I just filed. What is, Um, what have, I mean, I know what's going on. You know what's going on. What have have your past two days been?
3: Oh, yeah. Sorry. I should be more specific. Um, (laughs) I have been, uh, well, on Saturday I was in Houston, Texas with Stormy Daniels, who is an adult film actress involved in an alleged affair with President Trump ten years ago and um she's I mean anybody watching the news is more or less familiar with her story, but I spent Saturday hanging out with her and I've been writing an article for Rolling Stone about that. Then I was also after that I went to Costa Rica to uh do a story on a coffee on a Starbucks coffee farm down there outside of San Jose. And on my way back from Costa Rica it's just, you know, been writing really hard to try to get this Rolling Stone story finished. Um, And I needed to go somewhere. I didn't really have any particular destination in mind, so I just had my plane take me to San Francisco through Miami so I would have a nice long six-and-a-half-hour transcontinental flight to ride on. And I got to San Francisco last night, which is why I'm here today, overlooking this beautiful bay, speaking to you from here.
1: And you've had, let's just, even since the first of the year, can you take us through like what your schedule has been?
3: Um, oh man. I <laughs> can you even remember? remember? <laughs> <laughs> I, re- I mean, I really can't remember, you know, I've been traveling a whole lot, kind of more or less constantly. Um, I don't remember the exact itinerary, but you know, New Zealand, Bahamas, tequila in Mexico, Walla Walla, Washington, I can't even, uh, like Denver, Virgin Islands, kind of been all over the place.
1: And these are just, I mean... Just on
3: a kind of more or less, you know, a reporting trip. I've just been (laughs) traveling around the world writing about this
1: or that. Well, let's, um, I mean, you and I could talk for hours and we've spent the past four years doing so, but um, I had Laura Jansen on the show last week and she said that the greatest line ever written was Mississippi Delta shining like a national guitar and... So that immediately kind of brought to mind your book, Hot Sauce Nation, and your, can I say, adoration of the Mississippi Delta? I mean, you were the first person to really sell it to me before you and I ever went through there on a road trip.
3: Oh, that's totally fair, man. I love the Delta. Yeah, adoration is, adoration is on point.
1: What, I mean, did you know, before Hot Sauce Nation came out, and we're going to get to that in a little bit, but... Before you even started writing Hot Sauce Nation, had you spent a lot of time in the Delta, or was it just from your time in New Orleans that you spent a lot of time in the South? I mean, how did you get introduced to the Delta?
3: Um, I hadn't spent a lot of time in the Delta before writing Hot Sauce Nation. I'd spent a little bit, um, mostly, oddly enough, thanks to a Yankee named Matt (laughs) Dangloff. Matt, or Matty B, as people call him, is a very close friend of mine from college. He grew up in Manhattan. And uh, after college, he moved to the Mississippi Delta to teach school. And uh, he ended up staying, got married, opened up an ice cream shop called Delta Dairy in Cleveland, Mississippi. And now he lives in the Mississippi Delta. So visiting Maddie B., I'd spent some time down there and just found it to be a really interesting and beautiful and peculiar, unique ways place. But also a place that has, as I learned, a really rich Tradition of hot sauce and spicy food. So when I was writing Hot Sauce Nation, of course, I ended up spending a good bit of time in the Delta.
1: Well, let's. um I'm skipping ahead there. I'm looking at my notes. I was so excited to talk to you. I'm, I'm skipping way ahead. You brought in three or four songs. I can't remember what we said. I have never been. I mean, I like. I like the Delta blues. I don't love them. I think they are. I think at some point the, the blues, you know, I I think they become redundant. You know, I think it's three chords and it, they're they're great. Uh, you feel differently. Yes, I feel differently. That's a. I mean, with all due respect, my friend, that's a
2: that's a dumb position to take. Uh, if you if you're going to be against music that has only three chords, that. That eliminates a lot of the
1: canon. Punk rock is pretty much off the table and a lot of rock and roll is too. Right.
2: But the blues is, uh,
3: the blues is a format, you know? It's a, it's a framework upon which to riff. And within that framework can be incredibly rich. And there, there's a lot more. Variety, as I think we'll see in the songs that we go that we go through here, there's a lot more variety and opportunity for you know different expressions of the blues that you're giving it credit for in this
2: uh, inauspicious introduction. <laughs>
1: Elizabeth Cotton, Washington Blues, talking to Denver Nicks, who, uh, when we started the show, was in San Francisco. It's been 15 minutes now. I don't know where he could be. Back to, back to, back to the Delta. Um, And again, you and I, I was lucky enough to kind of ride along with you a lot of the road trip while you were riding Hot Sauce Nation. But what is it about the Delta itself that just kind of calls to you? Where does that, where does that affection or that adoration come from?
3: Well, the, the Mississippi Delta is in many respects, uh, and this gets into some kind of dark chapters in American history, but in many respects, the Mississippi Delta is the kind of innermost core of a lot of the darkness that was American slavery and the, the history of the transatlantic slave trade. The the Delta is a place where there were slave plantations uh, before the Civil War, but also, and really more importantly, the Delta is a place where after the Civil War, many freed slaves moved to establish farms, and also a place where, frankly, after the end of Reconstruction, when white supremacy was reestablished in the South through Jim Crow laws, Black people were forced one way or another into kind of sharecropping situations that reinstituted a more or less slave plantation type economy. The point of that, the importance of that, is that the Mississippi Delta is a place rich with traditions that people of African descent brought from Africa and infused with uh, European influences, European, in the case of blues, um, chord progression and European instruments with African beats and African instruments too, like, like the banjo. As you know, Eric, I mean, a huge, a, a big, big part of American culture writ large is really African American culture. Right. And to me, the Mississippi Delta is kind of, it's getting near the source of that, right? The Source of rock and roll, the source of soul, the source of
1: the blues. What is, when we were down there, I think there's two stories that you tell really well. Um, the first was, and if I'm getting this wrong, correct me, is it a juke joint? Remember, we tried to find something down in Mississippi and it was closed because the guy had since passed away. That's right, a juke
3: joint. It's called Poe Monkeys.
1: Poe monkeys. That's right. It's a
3: famous juke joint in the Mississippi Delta.
1: And what is for peop- um, for anybody that doesn't know, because I didn't know before we got there, what is a juke joint?
3: Uh, well, <laughs> a juke joint, I get really a juke joint is the name in the Mississippi Delta for more or less the kind of place that in the part of the country where you and you and I are from, they call a roadhouse. Okay. Um, it's kind of a a bar, typically, you know, a, a kind of independent bar, maybe kind of like dark. And side and place where they play in the Mississippi Delta, the uh, blues music. Stays open late, gets rowdy, might have plywood on the walls, right. might not have a wall so here or there, you know, that kind of place.
1: And the second story was, I'll start it, I'll let you finish it. You and I were driving through, we ended up in a town known for the blues. What, what was it where the movie star had the, uh, the big blues spot?
3: Movie to oh, uh, Clarksdale. Clarksdale. Where, uh, Morgan Freeman has
2: gr- Ground
1: Zero Blues Bar. That's right. So we, we, we get there and just an ab, you know, torrential downpour. So we have to, you know, we have to take, we have to get a hotel room above Morgan Freeman's Blues Bar. It's cool. <laughs> We're kind of hoping to see him as That's it turns out. That's right. It was pouring rain. It yeah. was. That was our only choice. And so, you know, we, we ended up there because it was really the only hotel we could find. But then. Uh, it, as it turns out, there's a there's a slightly more authentic place in Clarksville to find the blues, and I'll let you take the story from there.
3: Just uh, I, I think a block from Ground Zero is a bar called Red, a juke joint called Red. That yeah, is a great classic Delta juke joint. You know, it's got red Christmas lights. You know, it's dark inside, and it's kind of a back room, plywood walls, just like a you know slapdash group of chairs that. Somebody picked up at this flea market or that flea market, you know, <laughs> nothing matches. <laughs> uh, and there was a great blues band There was playing there. Um, oh, I remember what you're talking about. That night at Red, you're
1: Right. let's see,
3: I walked up to the bar to, I think, get us a couple of beers. And uh, I heard Red talking about Ground Zero. This is Ground Zero, Morgan Freeman's bar there across the street. And he's telling somebody, you know... Uh, And he kind of looks over at me as I stand up at the bar, you know, starts addressing me as part of this conversation. (laughs) And he says, uh, you know, they got this magazine, some magazine wrote about blues bar in Mississippi. It said, Ground Zero is
0: the best blues bar in the Mississippi. I said, what?
4: Ain't you ever been to Red? <laughs> you want a magazine or you want the motherfucking blue? <laughs> I got a little red rooster Too lazy to crow for days I got a little red rooster Too lazy to crow for days He keeps everything in the barnyard Upset in every way The dogs begin to bark The howls begin to hound The dogs begin to bark The hounds begin to howl Watch out all you kinfolk My little red rooster's on the prowl I tell you that he keeps all the hens Fighting among themselves All the hens fighting among themselves He don't want no hen in the barnyard Laying eggs for nobody else Send him home Said if you see my red rooster Send them home I had no peace in the barnyard Since my red rooster been gone
1: Sam Cook today I sing the blues listening to rough Sundays I am Eric S Queen with my best friend in the whole world let's get back to hot sauce nation which I really I, you know when I think now when we talk about the delta when we talk about mississippi or or matty b who was actually just here in berlin not too long ago hot sauce nation comes to mind i think you did such a good job of really pulling out just the just the mysterious and the 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 interesting spooky sad weirdness i mean it's a, it's just a, it's a it's a fascinating place and i mean it started with that crossroads about robert johnson which some people might know the story about robert johnson some people might not i'll let you go ahead and tell it if you don't mind
3: uh sure there, there's a there's old blues legend that robert johnson who was a blues man uh back at the beginning of the 20th century in the mississippi delta there's a blues legend that Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil at a crossroads in the Delta, in exchange for becoming, you know, the the best blues guitarist in the world. That, of course, has precipitated all of this disagreement between a little towns in the Delta there about which town is the site of the crossroads where Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil. There's, you know, like six or seven towns claim <laughs> this is the spot where Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil. And of course, Clarksdale, which is very big important important blues talent, where Sam Cooke is from, I believe, says that Clarksdale, Mississippi, is where Robert Johnson sold his soul to the blues. I'm sorry, sold his soul to the devil. Maybe that's the same thing. <laughs> the the best claim, in my view, is goes to Rosedale, Mississippi, this little, little bitty town, right there up up against the Mississippi River, where Robert Johnson in one of his songs talks about walking up the highway in Rosedale, and. He kind of references that and there's uh there's some testimony on the part of a old blues man named son house that either he he talked to somebody who had a vision that told him that's where johnson did it or he had a vision that told him that's where johnson did it so rosedale mississippi the intersection of the the little highways in that town is the best claim i think to where robert johnson you know, "Quote unquote, sold his soul to the devil." Now, if I can, I go on. Can I nerd out for a second? I please,
1: all right, yes, okay. please. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so the, the the blues legend, of course, is Robert Johnson, sold his soul to the devil, right? But this kind of goes to what I was talking about in the beginning, because, of course, I mean, my personal belief is that there, there's no such thing as the devil to sell your soul to, uh, and that is, you know, that that blues legend comes from somewhere. And where that blues legend comes from, almost certainly, is a reflection of the connection we're talking. We talked about at the beginning of our conversation between the Mississippi Delta and Africa. Uh, the crossroads in in Voodoo uh, or Hoodoo, as it's often called in that part of the American South. There, mm-hmm. the crossroads have a very important spiritual significance as a kind of uh, borderland between worlds, a place where you can commune with the deceased. Voodoo, Voodoo, whatever you want to call it, is essentially a syncretic religion. It's a combination of typically Catholicism with ancient African animistic religions that enslaved Africans brought with them when they were kidnapped from Africa. So this legend of Robert Johnson selling his soul to the devil at the crossroads, in my view, clearly what that is, is a kind of blues legend that you know, it's developed like all legends do, except it has these these inklings, these reminders of uh, the soul of the Delta and the deep history filled with tragedy and pain and beauty and struggle and perseverance and finding beauty in pain that the blues is all about. I've
2: been loving you too long. Easy does
0: it, not loud, man. Easy does yeah, it and soulful.
4: Been loving you all oh, too long. Stop now.
2: Well, you come tired,
0: and you say you want to be. But it's too late, baby
4: Cause you've become a habit to me Yeah, I've been loving you Loving you a little too long To try and stop now now I know you're tired And your love has grown cold Oh, but mine keeps getting stronger As our fair rolls old. Oh, hey, I've been loving you Loving you, loving you, loving you, loving you too long. Try and stop now, oh! I said I've been loving you.
1: Jerry Butler, I've been loving you too long. We are talking with Denver Nix, who's currently in San Francisco, but has been all over for many a different thing. You know, Denver, I got this idea because, as mentioned a few times, you know, I spent a decent amount of time with you on the road when you were writing Hot Sauce Nation, and I know that it's it's unfair to such a wonderful book to to only spend like a, a small segment of a podcast on, but I, I still want to do it because it, it really. There were so many parallels bequ- between what you were talking about with the blues and the Mississippi Delta and, and the things like that, that that tie in with this book. Can we talk about Hot Sauce Nation for a few minutes?
3: Absolutely, man. I love talking hot
1: sauce. Okay, well, I mean, the, the first thing, and this this book covers everything from, from history to science to, I mean, just, it, it absolutely, America's obsession with hot sauce, but it goes, it goes so many different places, um, which is what makes it such a, a well-received book. But the two things that I really took away from speaking specifically to, to peppers and hot sauce, the first, and this is what a lot of people, I think, when they first hear this, probably disagree to your face or probably uh, the burn of a pepper on your mouth or on your tongue, that is not a real burn.
3: That's correct. It's an illusion. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just an illusion that a chemical in chilies called capsaicin causes.
1: But I mean, can we I, I know you've spent God knows how many hours writing about it, but for somebody like myself or somebody who just heard that that's a little bit hard to believe, seeing how we've had spicy food and our mouth is on fire, and it's not until we drink ice water or or a beer or whatever it is that it that it calms it down i mean is that is that really just all it comes down to it, it it's an illusion it's that's it yeah, it's just capsaicin or capsaicin
3: oh different compounds they just due to pain receptors on your skin, including in your mouth, the same thing that cause the same series of chemical reactions in your nervous system that switch on at, about, at above like 109 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, it's just a chemical that tricks your, the nerve endings, to put it simply, into thinking that they're on fire. And they kind of start firing off, you know, and your body, in some respect. Thinks that it's burning, so that's why you know you have that feeling of pain, like you're burning. But this is what I love about hot sauce and chilies: it's it's not corrosive. It burns. It feels like it burns, but it's not burning anything. It's hard to even talk about because there's so few instances in life, or you know, botany and biology, when you have this phenomenon. But uh, it feels like it's burning, but it's not actually burning anything. It's just an illusion. And it creates a really philosophically, to me, interesting, it's a philosophically interesting phenomenon because it allows you to think about decoupling pain from suffering, if that
1: makes sense, or decoupling pain from actual damage. Right.
3: You can, theoretically, if you're, it's mind over matter, so theoretically you could ha- you know, have a dose of pure capsaicin, which would be extremely painful at a kind of level that is, sort of impossible to comprehend in the normal day, you know. But if you have the wherewithal to just kind of sit and be with the pain to be present and meditate on it, you, you can conquer your mind in that respect, then you'll be fine. Then it doesn't do anything. It's not hurting anything. And as I go into the book, you know, that to me contained in that is this really kind of beautiful poetic Message about both the, the purpose of pain and suffering in our lives and how we incorporate painful experiences into day to day life and persevere through them.
1: And when you talk about meditation, I immediately went to another uh, part. And again, I'm asking you to truncate, you know, what you've spent years of your life writing chapters on, you know, asking you to to, to break this down into just a paragraph or a conversation. But the original spice and for, I'm going to get this. I'm going to butcher this. So forgive me. But the original spice came from Bolivia. And before a certain year, Indian and Thai food, as we know it today, was not spicy. Is that is that a, is that a correct ish?
3: Yeah, that, that's that's absolutely correct. It's spot on. Chile's evolved in Bolivia, in kind of middle part of the country between Sucre, Santa Cruz, and Cochabamba, kind of Bolivian adjacent to the Bolivian highlands. And they spread there naturally throughout most of South and Central America into the Caribbean. And when a fellow named Christopher Columbus bumped into what he thought was China, which was, in fact, an island in the Caribbean Sea... He encountered chilies, and he had come there primarily looking for black pepper. He was trying to get to Asia to find a cheaper, better way to get to the black pepper that only grew in India. So I sailed, you know, the other way around the world, he bumped into the Americas. He didn't find black pepper, of course, because black pepper does not grow in the Americas. It did not grow then, in the Americas. But he did find this plant, and he thought, you know, he it. it was like, oh, shit, that's like super... 10,000 times as potent black pepper, which is, that's why we call them peppers today. It's not, the, the, the black pepper and chili peppers are totally botanically, biologically distinct plants. They're not related. We just have that confusion because Columbus took the chilies back to patrons in Spain and said, hey, look, I found some pepper. It's just kind of different, weird-like. But yeah, before that, before 1492, there were no chilies outside of the Americas uh, which is to say that before 1492, there was no there were no chilies in Thai food and Indian food or Vietnamese food or Ethiopian or West African cuisine. Indian food had black pepper, of course, and pure black pepper measures at about 100,000, I think, Scoville units. But you can't really achieve that in nature, and it's not exact. It's not really the same thing, quite. Which is just to say that before fourteen ninety two there really wasn't spicy food outside of the Americas. Uh spicy food is a result of including chilies, which only existed in the Americas. And then of course, you know, the rest is history. Once chilies made their way to Spain, Portugal were introduced to Africa uh, by Portuguese traders and slave traders. Chilies are introduced to India by the Portuguese, which is why the area around Goa which is a Portuguese-established city has particularly spicy Indian food. So, y'all might know the the word vindaloo. Recognize vindaloo as being, you know, one of those dishes at an Indian restaurant that's particularly spicy. Vindaloo is just a shortening and kind of uh, Indianification of a Portuguese phrase, vindaloo, which means like garlic wine. Oh, wow. just to say. It's a Portuguese
1: dish. Let's um, and let's go. You wrote Hot Sauce Nation. Before that, you you wrote a, a fantastic book on Bradley Manning. But now you're working a, a, as well as the Rolling Stone piece, as well as Nat Geo, as well as Uprock's Travel and Time. You're also writing your third. You're you're currently writing your third book. Is that right? Uh,
3: that's right. Yeah, I'm working on a book about one of Thurgood Marshall's very early cases. Thurgood Marshall, the the first black Supreme Court justice, one of the titans of american history american judicial history american civil rights history one of his early cases as the head of the naacp's legal defense fund was representing a young man in southeastern oklahoma who was tortured into confessing to a murder he did not commit the story and and that's not giving away the story that's where it begins Uh, so i'm working on that book and Wrapping it up right
1: now, actually, in the finishing stages of that this month. Denver Knicks, uh, author of Hot Sauce Nation, Private, the story of Bradley Manning, um, the one we just talked about with Ergen Marshall. You've got, hopefully, by the time this comes out, a few days prior, the Rolling Stone piece on Stormy Daniels will have come out. Not to mention, like I said, up Rock Natchew. You. You're a busy guy, you know? I mean, I've done a pretty good job this interview, I think, of, of asking questions that I already knew the answer to. But you're, uh, you're, you're keeping busy, Mr. Nix.
3: <laughs> I am keeping busy. I, I understand you're keeping pretty damn busy, too,
1: though. Uh, I've, I've got between. this. I, I hear
3: you even got yourself a straight job. A straight man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, well, I'm sending you to uh, to Robert Barron to uh, my favorite bar, my second favorite bar in America. As you know, the first bar we had Brother Chris on not too long ago, uh, talking about Chart Room. Uh, but yeah. Church. You take, it is church, but you take yourself to Robert Barron. I think you uh, you deserve a few celebratory drinks, man. That's huge. I look forward to the article, and personally, it's, uh, I miss hearing your voice.
3: Yeah, man. It's great to hear your voice, Eric. I miss you, bud. you got to come see us, man. Come well, back to America one of
1: these days. Take care of yourself, brother. I love you.
3: I right, I love you too, man.
0: Peace. Baby dog putting on more baking powder and your bread, you see. Cause your biscuits is plenty tall enough for me. If I don't want no more sugar, and your jelly roll you'll see. Cause your jelly roll is plenty sweet enough for me. Some men like lunch meat, and some they like so tongue. Some men don't care for biscuits, they like the dog big fat bombs. But baby, don't put no more begging powders in your bread, you see. Cause your two biscuits plenty big enough for me. And your bread you see, cause your biscuits is plenty tall enough for me. Baby don't put no more sugar, and your jelly roll you see, cause your jelly roll is plenty sweet enough for me. There's some men you know they're straight, some crickets are vow of snakes, some men don't like bunging biscuits like the dog bone flat batty cake. But baby don't put no more bacon powders. And your bread, you see. Call your biscuits is plenty tall enough for me. Rough Sundays will return next week.